Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. Today we'll be welcoming multimedia artist Rosto. something a little different to start this episode off. This is Splinter Time by the band The Wreckers, a sort of metaphysical musical outlet for this episode's guest, Rosto. The song accompanies the film of the same name, which we'll be discussing later on in the podcast. You can hear more of this band's music at soundcloud.com slash the-wreckers. That's the with two e's. Before that, hello, everyone. This is Ben Mitchell, nursing a throbbing post-wisdom tooth extraction jaw. I'm joined by Steve Henderson. Steve, how are you doing? I'm fine, Ben. How are you? I'm, uh, there's always something wrong with me. (laughs) This year has been terrible. I've just gotten the, uh, mobility of my mouth back, which is, uh, good, because I kind of need it to talk. Uh, I'm sure to the distress of many people who were hoping I'd shut up for a little while. But, uh, every podcast we've been doing... There's been something going on with me. Like last time I was getting over a cold, the time before I like massively had a cold, the time before that I was having like migraines. So I probably just sound stoned the last few episodes. <laughs> now I'm probably just a bit mumble mouth, but uh, that's the reason having um, teeth taken out of my head and uh, the, the ensuing fun and trollics. <laughs> Have you ever gone through that wisdom teeth? Yeah, not well, not wisdom teeth, but I remember uh, getting my braces when I was a kid. And uh, okay. the first thing that I that I ate after I had the braces was like beans on toast, and I used, I got beans stuck in the holes where my teeth were. Lovely, <laughs> which was quite a weird thing to have to suck out of your mouth. It's quite it's quite a fun little game while it was still still open. As a, yeah, um, did you have the the injections in the mouth and numb it, or did you just go for it, Ben? Did you just like go in with a pair of pliers? Oh, they 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 went in with all the drugs they had at their disposal. They completely like it's like you you're knocked out. I thought it was going to be complete like unconsciousness, but there wasn't. It was like just sedation. So I'm yeah. lying there conscious, but like everything's a dream, and I'm kind of drifting in and out of paying attention. Oh. And so this is basically what I'm like hearing. Because everything's sort of like blurry as they're kind of like crunching around in my face. Um, <laughs> and he's talking to his assistant. Oh my god, that shouldn't be happening. Come here quickly, hold this. Hold this. Oh, this is all going wrong. <laughs> Should we see his brain? Should we? <laughs> sure enough, when I actually sort of like was sat up and, and brought out of it, they were like, this went terribly in all my years. <laughs> Apparently, my wisdom tooth root was, like, spread-eagled. So, like, as they tried to pull it out, it was clinging on for dear life and taking off of my cheek with me. Oh. Recovered quite quickly, but the first day was was interesting. You know, I kind of feel like the inside of my head is, like, Sally from the Nightmare Before Christmas's face. <laughs> All stitched up. Well, if, we, if we've got any listeners left after, <laughs> after, after this uh, overly detailed retelling of, of your dental horrors, uh, what have we got on this podcast then, Ben? I mean, uh, it's... Well, it's sort of apt. We're going to be talking to Rosto later. Yeah. And uh, his films are, I would say, perhaps a little uh, gory in places, a little mm. unrelenting, so it sets the tone some. 
Excellent. Like I say, I'm 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 on the mend. Although I had to go back for like a sort of clean yesterday, and uh, I don't know if you ever dealt with this. Just sort of quickly, this is this does lead back to Squiggly, by the way. <laughs> this time I was seeing a, a woman dentist at the clinic, and um, I've never had a woman dentist before, which wasn't my choice. You know, I'm not a dental misogynist. Uh. So she was, you know, very helpful, helped me out with uh, my issue. Except that she decided to do it, like, from behind me. So she's going into my mouth, like, looking upside down at me, right? While her breasts are resting on my forehead. Now, I don't know if this is, like, standard dental practice. Because from that angle, I guess, where else are they going to go, you know? Do you pay extra, or...? Well, it was private, so maybe that's sort of part and parcel. (laughs) This clinic is known for their reputation of putting patients at ease. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the methods. And it wasn't solicited, obviously, but at the same time, it wasn't the worst feeling in the world. (laughs) So last night I had... Because we're we're recording this relatively early in the morning compared to when we usually do it. So a mere couple of hours ago, I was uh, uh, having my very first squiggly anxiety dream. Which has never happened in the five years that I've been doing Squiggly. And I know that whenever someone makes noises like they're about to tell you something that happened to them in a dream, it's usually really f***ing silly and irritating and boring. So feel free, listeners, to skip ahead a minute or so. (laughs) But uh, I don't know if you've ever sort of had this as we start to do more and more with Squiggly. I had this dream that I was presenting uh, a special screening of Anomalisa. Okay. And I guess it was at the Barbican, and it was going terribly. And I had decided to include in my introduction a filmed version of the interview with the director, who for some reason in the dream was Terry Jones. Okay. Not Charlie Gump. And I had decided to edit it in this really avant-garde way that just made it not make any sense. And like everyone was like talking amongst themselves in the audience. Terry Jones is in the audience looking at me like, dude, what the f***? <laughs> and then you arrive to save it, to save the day. Like, you sort of, like, burst through the doors of the barbecue. It's like, it's okay, Steve's here. Standard. <laughs> and so, yeah. Then you start, like, going, and then you, you sort of launch into your own introduction for it. But you've come up with all these abbreviations for animation terms that really resemble racial epithets. <laughs> so, at this point, everyone's, like, act- actively booing. And then I sort of, like, lean, because I'm sitting in the audience at this point watching with horror that this is, like, unreal. And then they start playing the film, but instead of a screen, they're playing it into a box, like a big sort of like box without a fourth wall. So it's all wrong. Like it's all the, you're only seeing like the middle bit of the screen. Everything else is on the side. And at that point, the woman sitting behind me taps me on the shoulder and I sort of look back and it's my dentist, uh, the woman dentist. And she sort of like pulls my shoulders back and starts wrapping plastic wrap around my head with her breasts resting on my forehead as she was earlier in the day. Presumably to end my worthless life. <laughs> and then I woke up. Oh my god. <laughs> so I guess what's going to happen now is like, because now I have the recurring dreams are like secondary school, which I think is quite common, like this recurring dream of like not going to one certain class or not studying for one certain exam or whatever. When I'm in my 40s, I'm going to be have a whole mess of, like, squiggly recurring dreams, I'm sure, <laughs> of, like, not getting to the interview on time, like, you know, doing the presentation all wrong. This is, you know. I, I love that. And I think that uh, this year's Manchester Animation Festival, we should try and recreate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll come up with a little bit of racism. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, dreams and hallucinations and hypnagogia and, and all sorts of troubling things uh, uh, run amok. 
in the work of Mr. Rosto, and we'll go back to that in a bit. But uh, in the meanwhile, what else has been going on of a non-dental, non-dream uh, nature? Possibly something to do with animation to steer yeah. things on course. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, trailers have started up again, haven't they? I, I like to sort of split the year into bits, and uh, this part of the year is maybe the bit where I uh, am a little bit disenfranchised with animation. I see. It's the space between award season and festivals and thank god i've got a festival coming up next week we all we all have it's quickly we're all heading down to cardiff but uh thank god there's an animation festival coming up soon so we get to sit in a in a cinema and enjoy um animation again but uh at the moment it's just trailers and and news of films that are coming up which may not uh and are certainly not to everyone's taste have you seen the uh emoji movie uh, how that's making a splash, Ben. Is that, is that a real thing? It is a real thing, yeah. We, we reported on it last year. Nathan wrote up um, an article on on that Sony uh, Pictures had bought the rights to Emoji. The You know what an emoji is. I'm not talking, yeah, the, I'm not talking to my grandma. Uh, it, it, smileys and more. Poo, tacos, unicorns, robots, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, basically pictures. <laughs> they can send to people. Lovely. Um... And the entire internet has sort of collectively vomited over the notion of this because uh, Sony have, uh, I think they're in Las Vegas and they revealed parts of the plot and parts of the actual, uh, you know, what's going, what's happening in this emoji movie, what it's about, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's led to headlines like, Sony's emoji movie sounds like the worst brand-led piece of crap ever conceived. I mean, when you get a title like that, I think uh, <laughs> we, we can know what the uh, the author uh, over on uh, thenextweb.com uh, thinks of uh, of the Emoji movie. You don't imagine that you'll be um, captivated? I, I don't imagine I'll be, I'll be captivated, but I'm not going to have a real go at it. Something we, we kind of avoid on Squiggly is we avoid uh, writing articles based on on this kind of thing, where people just tell people that things are rubbish. We reported that Sony had purchased the rights to the Emoji movie because that's news. Mm. But we're not going to write an article about how absolutely terrible it sounds because how can we tell it? it well, it's sort of redundant. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. people make their own minds up, you know. And I think that's why there you won't find a whole lot about the movie Pixels on Squiggly, <laughs> you know. Yeah, maybe um, the original, which uh, which was an absolutely superb uh, piece of work. But uh, yeah, yeah, we're not one for Adam Sandler's here, as is well established on this podcast, Ben. Put him in a Gendy Tarnikovsky movie. We'll give him the time. Of day. Exactly. That's but um, that yeah, that was a bit of a waste of um, uh, resources. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there is there an actual trailer? for this film yet or is it just like there's not no there's uh there's just uh, a presentation at uh it, it was at las vegas cinema con 2016 and uh it's it's been described as a as a knockoff uh of a uh, combination of wreck it ralph and inside out right but with emojis obviously and they all live in somebody's phone and they go into different applications and it's called the emoji valley where they live and Apparently, Spotify is going to be in it, and maybe Facebook, and all these things on your phone. Young kids, sort of like waiting for their favorite social media outlet, yeah, to show up in a car. Oh, it's the Twitter bird! Woo! Yeah. Well, it's um. The other thing is, AMC Cinemas this week have announced that they're going to let people text during movies at the cinemas. So next year there'll be a cinema with people on their phones watching a film about 
people on their phones. It's going to be quite the experience. Mm-hmm. We're entering a wonderful new era. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and speaking of uh, films that are on phones, the uh, Angry Birds has released another trailer. Films that are based on uh, things that are on phones, rather. You know, the Angry Birds trailer is uh, is is here. And a joy to behold, I'm sure. <laughs> the birds, they're angry. It's got everything. It's got both the things. I don't mind the look of this. It just looks like a kind of standard... Uh, standard fare. Animals buggering about. <laughs> yeah. What the hey? <laughs> and then, uh, and then, Secret Life of Pets has a trailer out as well. Have you? Sorry, have you, you've, you're not. You're not actually interested in Angry Birds. Did you ever play Angry Birds on the uh, on the old phone there, Ben? Or I mean, obviously, I'm aware of it as a cultural yeah. phenomenon. It's, was it kind of like worms? It was like worms. Yeah. It, it, it hit off in a in a big style. Uh, everyone kind of. It was. I think it was the first kind of decent game on the smartphone. Hmm. It was like that generation's snake. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, oh, now you've said it. Someone's going to make a snake movie. But um... <laughs> no, it's too late. They missed the window. Ah. <laughs> didn't they make a battleship movie? They did. They... Fucking hell! I didn't see it. Have you seen it? No, no. I, I saw like a poster, and I'm like, I hope they just um, are using the the word, and it's not actually. But I think apparently it was actually sort of made in association with the board game company. Oh, wow. They made a Cluedo movie. That was great. At least that had a plot. Yeah. It was a crap plot, but at least Cluedo is a game where things happen and it has people and has a cast of characters. It was one of those films that I always assumed was just like a really obscure nothing movie, and I saw it on TV not that long ago. It was all right. It was sort of quite watchable. It's great with Tim Curry, isn't it? Tim Curry, Michael McKean, Christopher Lloyd, like a lot of really quite high-end people. Button Mole is in it. Like, quite big names for the day. So, yeah, the, the idea of making movies out of uh, board games and video games and all sorts, it's uh, usually leads to resounding success. <laughs> As I'm sure Bob Hoskins and Jean-Claude Van Damme would tell you. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, sorry, that took a second, but yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob Hoskins can't tell us, Ben. Well, we're a horrible, we're a horrible thing to say. Well, you know, I'm sure from from you know in the great beyond, mm. where he's you know I'm sure being treated very well, and he never has to catch it on TV again. Everyone only ever brings up the Long Good Friday and Roger Rabbit, <laughs> and elsewhere, Secret Life of Pets from uh, Illumination. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that one? Interesting to see. It looks like they've gone full Toy Story, doesn't it? With the mm. old uh, replacement. Uh, you're not my favorite. I've got a problem because. I had all the attention. It, it, it looks interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see this. I think the trailers kind of go for the gags, and the gags seem a little bit obvious. But yeah. it's nice to see a little bit more of what the film will actually be about. I think I, I don't think you're not allowed to have a film about talking pets without there being a dog catcher in it. Well, that also yeah, the the whole rescue mission that seemed quite Shaun the Sheep as well. Yeah, um, the Sean the Sheep movie. Little, and I, you know, there are certain characterizations that look very funny. Some that I imagine I'll probably find quite tedious. Hmm. I'm not too crazy about the Kevin Hart bunny, from what I've seen. If I'm honest, yeah, like oh, it's a cute bunny, but he's got attitude. Does he? <laughs> Great. <laughs> but yeah, I like the, you know, I like the idea of the two dogs, even though it's, it seems a little familiar. Uh, generally speaking, I think there's an awful lot. As a, we'll have the uh, the director on when the film comes out, and he sort of talks a bit about like how there's just so much, you know, material and mileage from animal behavior. Even if you just sort of use it for like one character, 
I mean, think of like Up, you know, mm-hmm. in the way that the performances of the animals were so kind of like it really took how animals are in real life first before building the characters around it. Yeah, so the, the manic movements of the bird set the animation in motion, and then the sort of habits of the dog, things like that. That was all done very well, I felt, mm-hmm. because it did have a sort of foothold in reality. Whereas you can give any animal in a film a celebrity voice, and it will either work well or work badly, depending on the strength of the material. But if there's actually something to the performance, or like some thought into the stuff that these characters do, that sort of has one foot in real life, then I think the jokes work a lot more effectively. Mm-hmm. That appears to be what they've done with this film, so I'm 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 hopeful for it. Yeah, yeah, rightly so. It's uh, the designs, the animation. As you're looking at the the animation, there's a bit where he's strutting down the street. Uh, Louis C.K.'s um, character. What's what's the name of the the dog in it? Uh, it's not Max. Ma- Ma- Max is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, he's strutting down the street, and uh, it's it's nice to see how his design works. You know, his, his tiny little legs, but like it, it works really nicely. It's interesting to look at. You know, it's uh, it doesn't seem as uh, off the shelf as, uh, as 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 they could have gone with this. There are some amends that perhaps need to be made for the minions phenomenon. <laughs> but I will say, I mean, I I had the world not been like completely oversaturated with that image. Mm. Seeing the film wasn't the worst film in the world. It's become sort of unwatchable because of just what people associate with the, the image of minions on mass now. Mm-hmm. Just super commercialization and really sort of quite irritating. <laughs> but there were some quite good jokes in it. It has the very sort of similar feel to Despicable Me and stuff like that. And I have a video interview with the directors and I was editing that and the press clips sort of going through it sometimes to get the edit right and you're going through it like frame by frame almost and have to concede that the animation is actually really very good as well. Hmm. That's something that definitely the studio can't be reasonably criticized for is the quality of the actual animation. They do very good work there. Mm-hmm. Certainly in terms of like physical comedy and stuff like that. So yeah, that all bodes well for the secret life of pets, I would say. So stuff to look forward to, stuff not to look forward to. You take your pick really with animation at the moment and uh, and the sort of animation feature industry. Mm-hmm. And I see Michael Dudot-Dewitt's uh, film is going to be premiering at uh, Cannes uh, in May. The uh, Red Turtle, his collaboration with uh, Studio Ghibli, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Much anticipated. Very much so. I'm looking forward to that one. So yeah, we we're talking about this sort of lull we're in before things uh, kick off again festival-wise. And like you say, there'll be Cardiff very soon. Immediately following that, of course, is uh, Stuttgart, Mm. which is one of the uh, top-tier animation festivals, and I'll be there for a few days. Uh, I'm very happy to say I went there about five years ago, and I was like... It was, I think, my first major festival, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was a really good vibe. Just to interject, was it actually your first squiggly article as well? Uh, My first interview uh, was at Stuttgart. Uh, I'd, I'd written a bit before mm-hmm. for Squiggly. But yeah, it was just a really great vibe, a good sort of party vibe, which is not necessarily, you know, present at every festival. Mm-hmm. There have been quite a few festivals where it's not so much a party vibe, more kind of like, okay, we've watched the animation, let's all go to bed vibe. <laughs> um, so I, I, I enjoyed it. It was nice. Mm. And I sort of, I remember swearing to myself, you know what, I'm going to be back here again with another film next year because I'm having such a good time. This will be my motivation to make that next film. And uh, five years later, <laughs> I'm going back. So 
for I get there in the end. But also in competition at this year's Stuttgart is Splinter Time, a recent film by Dutch filmmaker and artist, master of many trades, a guy by the name of Rosto. Mm. He's been at it for many, many years. The world of creative art and multimedia storytelling. Like he's, he's sort of, in some sense, I think a bit of a pioneer. I didn't realize quite how much until I saw his last film, Lonely Bones, at Annecy. That would have been three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I instantly fell in love. That's a very Marmite film, I think. Like, I think that's a film where like people either absolutely love it or they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Not for me. It's sort of a litmus test, I suppose. I think the reason I liked it so much, it's the same reason I like any film that kind of absolutely embraces just how manic and unhinged and insane animation can be. They don't squander the opportunity. Mm-hmm. If they have a universe that is a little fast and loose with... Yeah, the laws of physics, the laws of um, cause and effect, that kind of thing. Then that's, you know, you can create something special. I saw something the other day, actually, someone posted up. I'm not sure if you know the filmmaker. It was a kid, like, pranking his dad by putting whipped cream on his hand. Okay. And waking him up or tickling his nose so he'd, like, you know, rub whipped, uh, no, shaving cream or whatever on his face, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, does this ring a bell? It doesn't, know. Did you share it on Facebook or something? Okay, I'll try and find it and I'll send it to you. Because um, it's just like, that. that's basically the whole film. It's this kid, he wants to prank his dad, so he gets some shaving cream, puts it on his hand and tickles his nose. So, And then what happens after that? This film is like the kind of nightmare where you're paralyzed and you can't wake up. Right. <laughs> it's just those sequence of events happen in such a disturbing and weird and like sort of like hallucinogenic, melty, creepy way. Like it's like they exist in this world where like any movement will cause your skin to like stretch and melt and drip away. It's very Bill Plimpton-y actually. Mm. Certainly the kind of like the melting and it's very your face, I think, in places. Okay. It's a film that's still uh, referred to years later. That's a good, good a sign of a good film, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's you know, one of the classics, but hopefully I can find... Uh, I ha- this is what I f***ing hate about Facebook. People will just put up just videos mm-hmm. to get people to like their page, I guess. And there's nothing in the description. This is the description, and this is why I will never like whatever page put this video up. Uh, the description is, this escalates quickly. Shut up! <laughs> can we retire some of these phrases, by the way? Yeah. Like, that one can go. WTF did I just watch? That can go. Can we stop internet comics ending with somebody going, wait, what? That would be great as well. That really annoys me. Okay, yeah, this I found the guy. Okay, the cartoon is called A Prank Time, uh, and it's on YouTube. I love his description. A fat kid pulls a clever trick over his old man with wacky results. (laughs) Wacky being synonymous with one's worst cocodamol nightmares. Yeah. (laughs) This is pretty good. Anyways, good fun. It is, isn't it? jmranimation.blogspot.com. Give it a look. Mm-hmm. Little plug for someone. Just just because we feel like it. Yeah. That's how we roll. The l- lucky audience members could be next. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to have to watch that in full later on. Yeah, I'll check out more of this guy's stuff as well, because it's, uh, mm. it's, it's great fun to watch. And uh, like I was saying, sort of going back to the original point, such as it was, you know, there are some films that absolutely lend themselves to the notion of you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Why not do something, you know, as unrestrained as possible with a simple idea that can actually make for a really compelling and effective film? I do think that perhaps a line can be drawn 
certain filmmakers maybe like are a bit too over the top in the sense that the ideas are hard to grasp. Yeah. But the ideas, I think, are, are quite sort of clear. I mean, even in something like Bobby Yeah, the old Robert Morgan film, not that old, but like five years old or whatever. I was writing about that recently for another project and I've been discussing it with Robert. And what makes that film a watchable film ultimately is actually a very conventional trope. It has a sympathetic lead. Mm. In in a loose sense, but you're you're on a journey with this character through all of these nightmare visions and all of these insane things that are happening, and he, there's a part of this character that's a bit like, what the fuck's going on? Mm. So you're kind of like with him on the journey, and that I think really helps make a difference. Uh, I think that's also a very sort of similar trait with Rusto's films. It's characters on a journey, uh, characters on a quest. It's very wry. It's very uh, tongue-in-cheek in places. There are lots of sort of references to just how little information we've been given, but just go along for the ride for the time being. It's exact, exact something like the monster of Nyx. Mm-hmm. It, it encapsulates all those uh, rules, I'd say, perfectly. I would say that would be like a lot more a conventional watch. Oh yeah, it's probably his most accessible. If anyone's starting with a with a sort of Rosto short, maybe uh, Tom Waits fans or something might uh, might enjoy it. Yeah, see, it might be a bit tricky to track down, but you can buy it online. Hmm. I know that. I think that to actually sort of go back through his work as I as I did when I saw Lonely Bones, because I'm watching this film and I'm like, I have a feeling that there's a bit of backstory to this. Like, I, I have a feeling that this isn't a standalone film entirely mm-hmm. and uh, sure enough the backstory goes back to like 1998 wow this universe that he's created it started off as essentially a kind of interactive graphic novel using flash to sort of go through the panels the and the artwork and so you can kind of choose which narrative strands to follow mm-hmm. so the first few episodes are, are very identifiable as rudimentary 90s flash project as it goes on, he gets a little more artistically adventurous. It incorporates different styles. It incorporates live action elements. It starts to incorporate animation. It's really quite fascinating. It's and and certainly as a document of you know well over a decade of creative development and uh, artistic growth, I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's called Mind My Gap. This mm. project, and ultimately, while it never is like. It's never stories with a very clear beginning, middle, and end. Everything's very interwoven. Time is a very loose concept. Things that are brought in are not necessarily um, mainstays of the rest of the narrative. But it really is sort of like the kind of dream that you wake up from that holds together a lot more than most other dreams. There are a lot more recurring tropes and motifs and characters that show up. So they kind of weirdly do tell a story. Hmm. That, I think, you know, is, is why you can watch a film like Mulholland Drive quite happily. Well, some people probably watched that film and found it a complete misery fest, but <laughs> yeah. certain types of, you know, people, I guess, who are, who are into like films that are a little more adventurous with how the law or the rules, quote unquote, of filmic narrative work. Mm-hmm. And they'll, you know, hand over the reins to the filmmaker and let them take them on a bit of a, uh, an atypical film journey. Mm-hmm. That's certainly something that Rusto has embraced. I'd seen an, the previous film, the predecessor to Lonely Bones, which is called No Place Like Home uh, at another festival, possibly Stuttgart, when I was there last time. And I had thought that that was just a music video. That's sort of what he's doing now. They're kind of, it's kind of a mix of music video and 
short film with this really interesting meta angle in that he was in a band in the 90s. Uh, as as you know, everyone was in a band at a certain time in their life, I think, even if it was just for like an afternoon in conversations with schoolmates. Mm-hmm. Then some people go on to record stuff and then some people, you know, actually um, play some gigs and then that very, very, very tiny percentage become famous. But usually if like a, there's a band that nearly made it big, I think it's kind of almost like a requirement that one member of the band like holds on to the dream while everyone else like goes and gets a pension and goes to, you know, starts a family and stuff like that. Yeah. It's almost like a cliche. So Rasta was in this band. It's called The Wreckers. They made a bunch of songs. Everyone, I think, else moved on. But Rasto became this multimedia artist. And so the band has sort of become a character in his work. So he's found the only way to be the guy holding on to being in a band and make it cool. Mm. <laughs> I've never seen that done before. Interesting. And actually find a, a use for that impulse that's artistically valuable. Mm-hmm. So the band, in this reimagined sort of demonized form, he did like a painting of him and his band members as these kind of demon figures. And those have been made into these animated characters that appear in his films. So one of the, the current ongoing strand of his films that has sort of, there's an overlap, but it's basically taken over from Mind My Gap, are these films about the wreckers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the now spelled T-H-E-E. Mm-hmm. These characters in the background that kind of like play music to the awful, horrible things that are happening in the foreground. And they're sort of shackled and floating and very ominous. It's a very striking visual, mm-hmm. I think. The characters are animated and filmed, so it's a combination of live-action performance. As you've seen in Monster of Nyx, it's something that he uses quite frequently is like live-action performances with animated heads put on top of them, which I think works very well. It definitely works well with his original like drawing style. If you look at the first few entries of Mind My Gap, it's, it's very Dave McKean-esque, mm-hmm. I think. And then it quite quickly settles into his own like variant of that, which then morphs into a quite unique design style, which translates very effectively, I think, to the types of films he's doing now. So between No Place Like Home and Lonely Bones, there's a big shift of production values. And I think that's because he's since then he's been working with Auteur de Minuit, mm-hmm. who um, I think you're familiar with. They've done some stuff with Chris Shepard and various other high-profile artistic and animated shorts. Uh, I think they did The Ringer, for example. Okay, yeah. And they're quite big, I think, on combining filmmaking mediums like animation and rotoscoping and live action and that kind of thing, as The Ringer did. So Lonely Bones is, yeah, definitely, it's it's the same sort of characters and the same crazy universe, but with this real boost in the production values. And really, really amazing use of sound and music. And you can you can watch it online, but in this sort of odd form, because it technically Lonely Bones is considered the closing chapter of the Mind My Gap ongoing graphic novel. Okay. The last few chapters are just his animation projects. And so what he's done is he's cut up Lonely Bones into two chapters, which you can watch, but like it's quite low res for some reason. Maybe because I guess at some point he'll want to release these films as standalone films down the line. So if you're curious about seeing the film, and I, I definitely say that they're available in a watchable form if you search up Mind My Gap. But I would almost feel compelled to suggest that you wait to be able to see it in a theatrical setting. But at this point, because it's been quite a few years, I don't know when that would arise. The film that's been doing the rounds recently is the follow-up to Lonely Bones. It's called Splinter Time. And this is, I guess, sort of marks the handing over of the baton from the main characters of My My Gap to 
the band, this this sort of semi-fictional demon band, and uh, their continuing adventures. Mm-hmm. So. Similarly, a very uh, haunting film, similarly a very sort of visually rich film. It's a much calmer film than Lonely Bones. Like, Lonely Bones is like, it's, it's quite abusive, <laughs> you know. Whereas this film is just kind of like, it's like a drive in the snow. But there's lots of wonderful images that he'll describe in the interview, uh, their origins, such as the uh, the nurse and the crosses and things like that, where that all comes from. Then there will be a fourth film that he's working on. He wants a tetralogy, ultimately. And after that, I think his plan is to kind of do it from scratch as a feature project that would perhaps be a little more cohesive and perhaps be, have more of a kind of accessible narrative as, say, something like Monster of Nick's did. Like, not completely mainstream. Oh, no, I mean, even as we call in the Monster of Nick's the most accessible of his work, but it's still something like, I doubt people watching, if they've come on with no knowledge of of Rostow's work, would ever have seen before. Oh, yeah. It's certainly unique, it's certainly uh, original, but it takes that, the idea of a quest, the idea of a... Uh, a little boy having to, you know, go on this journey and changes it around. It's, you know, it's visually something like you've never seen before. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I, I'm curious as to how the sort of feature project will turn out if it if it has that kind. I expect it would have that kind of balance of two most sort of audiences, quite bizarre, to more seasoned, <laughs> you know, uh, viewers of independent and an uh, art house film. Which is to say, you know, us people who were so riveting at dinner parties. <laughs> As is also the case. Like, I'm surprised at, like, people who I, I know work in animation and have a, a very sort of broad awareness of animation film and all of the ways it can be used. How even something like a Robert Morgan film is too much. I suppose that's an, that's an odd thing to say, like, even a Robert Morgan film. They're, like, the most extreme <laughs> in the yeah. world of it. But, you know, they're not... They're not that bad. They're like scary, I guess. If you you know you're watching them for the first time, you don't know what's happening. They're suspenseful. But I feel like if if like ten year old kids can quite happily watch something like "Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared," which I'm pretty sure is their main audience. If you look at the YouTube comments, it's all these like kids trying to make sense of it. It's oh, great. Really? <laughs> yeah, you should you should go onto like the "Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared" YouTube videos and like read the like the kid like theories and like. Oh, well, this is what the duck character represents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to do that. They're having fun with puppets, kids. Chill out. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> but, you know, if, if kids can quite happily watch that kind of stuff, which is pretty, like, disturbing in places. I'm, I'm, I, it does surprise me when adults who, uh, like, in our industry, find Robert Morgan or, or I presume people like Rosto as well, and this chap that we talked about that I happened upon on Facebook, James Rodriguez, uh, would probably you know, find that a bit of a struggle as well. So it's interesting, you know. But I, I feel like if there's a platform to maybe bring this stuff to some people who might not have encountered it, then why not use it, eh? Why not indeed? It's the same impulse that saw me as a teenager making uh, mixed CDs of John Zorn <laughs> and forcing them on my classmates. Here you go. We can be friends if you like this. <laughs> so this is the, uh, the John Zorn CD of the Squiggly Podcast episodes, is it? I guess so. Okay, I can see how Rostow and you are kind of. I can I can really see it with him. You know, being into music, graphic novels, animation of a certain ilk. It's it suits you perfectly. I th- yeah, I, I probably it's it's a quite a personal connection. I feel to the mm-hmm. to the work, and I think that I do think that there will be people out there because um, in in the Netherlands he's sort of beloved over there. 
mm-hmm. and he's always doing projects and installations and he's had exhibits recently, exhibitions and stuff like that. So he's always at it, mm-hmm. which is another thing that I always kind of admire about people. And so, yeah, the fourth, the film that will follow on from Splinter Time will be called Reruns, I believe. And that will, I think, be the last of what's been a, a really, you know, extensive and, and very well-documented chapter of his creative life. What happens after that, who knows? But in the meantime, I'm sure, you know, people can go back and check out. There are quite a few uh, websites and resources to check out his work, which I'll, um, I'll go through after the interview. Good stuff. In the meantime, let's hear from Rosto, who I met in Amsterdam. So there is quite an awful lot of um, meat to it. Certainly, going back, um, so it goes back to like the sort of late 90s, I guess, with uh, the, the idea of an online graphic novel. It depends when you start counting, because the um, graphic novel was actually inspired by songs. And the songs are from, you know, like early 90s, basically. That was actually when I wrote the first songs, and then in 95, you know, the band, the Wreckers, as they were called back then, and I wrote all these songs in a very intuitive way. I, the only thing that I knew was that it was about landscapes, crossroads, and that was basically it. You know, there was no concept behind it other than those elements. And then it was in uh, 98, 98, 99, that I started to use the songs basically as the inspiration for the graphic novel. And from the graphic novel came, came the shorts. And from the shorts, you know, came uh, the records came back basically, you know, which was now like a sort of reincarnation of the original mortal musicians. I had now immortalized them by taking their souls, basically, making them into characters. And from that came eventually the tetralogy that I'm doing now. And it's all related. You know, it's it's a spider web, basically, of connections. And uh, everything that I do and that I have done is connected to, you know, the Mind My Gap universe, which is basically the graphic novel, but also those songs, you know, that, that place. And it has been expanding, expanding, expanding. Without a master plan, as I said, it was just this very fertile ground that I discovered, and it was it was my universe. I realized that it was actually my inside that I was exploring and discovering more and more interesting places, and uh, and I still live there. So in the time, I guess the, the culture of web comics, which is quite big now, but certainly web graphic novels and things like that, with that kind of fluctuating art style and interactive component. I mean, I would assume that it probably wasn't very prevalent at the time. No, not at all. This was, you know, basically right after the birth of the internet. It was all very rudimentary. But I learned very quickly what HTTP meant and what uh, PPP meant, you know, and all those things. Because remember, these were days where we were logging in with a modem. So we had to sort of, I had to sort of very quickly figure out how all this worked and then published it. And that was basically the start of it. And like this, I was very fortunate that, that my confidence grew and I became more and more bold in, in, you know, in my artwork in that sense and more and more honest as well because it did res- resonate with people. I do love the, uh, the sort of metaphysical elements of particular Lonely Bones in the, the new film, the sort of ending sequence where, like, when you kind of pull back and you see the kind of the crew and the green screen yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. Then in this um, splinter time, that kind of says, okay, what is real and what isn't? And it does keep you sort of wanting to see more. Right. So I'm quite glad that um, to, to learn that there is going to be a fourth one of those. Because yeah. I had thought it was actually the concluding part three. That's what many people think. You know, first of all, a trilogy is, a, is a, f- a format that we all know, you know, where a tetralogy, people have never heard of it. It's actually a tetralogy, not a quadrilogy. 
You know, I was always planning to do a tetralogy because in rock and roll everything goes in fours, so there had to be a fourth one. Yeah. I guess in the when it came to the first one of the tetralogy, then that was the twelfth sort of chapter, I guess, of the. Um, yes. Yeah. Actually, Lonely Bones and No Place Like Home, which was the first one, are both part of my my gap, yeah. as well. Yeah. Splinter Time is the first one which happened sort of outside my gap. Yeah. After he's sort of dead, and, uh, it's more, I guess, about the band at that point. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, when it came to that sort of point in My My Gap, when you were now, sort of, because progressively, I guess, over the course of the book, it had become more and more animated, would that have been, within your mind, the sort of first outright animated short that you understand? outside of it, or had there been others? No, there had been others. There was a, a My My Gap trilogy which actually was more or less the start of my career and the start of me as an independent artist. Uh, a first little short called Beheaded. That, that's like a three-minute little musical piece about a langy man, one of my characters, losing his head. Uh, I consider that my first successful film. You know, I've been trying to make films all my life, basically messing around, you know, trying to find your voice, trying to imitate others. All the stuff that you should do as a young person, you know, and like Tom Waits says, you know, you find your own voice while failing at imitating others. Uh, that's basically what happened to me, you know. Be Beheaded was the first film where I felt like, this is me. I did this for me, you know, this is me as honest as possible. This is me not trying to please my mom or my girlfriend, you know, or any other of these demons looking over my shoulders while, while creating something. I made that purely for me. And it was a three-minute little sweet nothing but for me it was a breakthrough, you know, it, it was my first successful film. Then after that was a short called uh, The Rise and Fall of the Legendary Anglo-Billy Feverson, which in my, my gap uh, is an episode where the director character says, you know, this is a storyboard for my film. So as in my, my gap it's actually published as a storyboard. And then people thought I was just joking, just messing around, but it actually was a real storyboard for a real film. And that was, I suppose, in the, you know, the bigger streams of the short film uh, business that we are in, my breakthrough film. You know, Beheaded hardly made a difference uh, in, in the world, and Anglobilly, you know, finally gave me a spot in the uh, independent short filmmaker's landscape. And after that was uh, the third one, which was called Jonah Tomberry. And uh, this is 2005. That was a big deal as well. It won a big prize in Cannes. And so it basically sort of continued uh, where Anglobilly where had left off. And it really, it, it's, it's like the missing chapter of my, my gap. That, that's how you could see it. You know, it refers to a lot of uh, incidents and events that happen in my, my gap. But actually, the stuff that we see in Jonah Tomberry, you will not see in the graphic novel. So I considered that a trilogy. So that happened before. And then there was another little spin-off project called The Monster of Nyx, which is more about the Langimani. Now, I basically see it as that my, my gap is my core galaxy, so to speak. And then there is the sort of spin-off galaxies. You know, The Wreckers is one of them which is more like the, the rock and roll universe, you know, the music is a big uh, factor there, you know, those four guys, those four, you know, the souls of the band, basically. And then there's this other spin-off universe, which is the Langimani, which goes more into the fairy tales and children's, you know, I also considered it a children's film, The Monster of Mix, because I, I did it for my son, who was my biggest fan at the time.
and he wanted to know everything about the Langimeni, who are the forests, forest creatures. You know, they do they do pop up in my my gap. They are in Jonathan Barry, but uh, I had millions of stories to tell about. You know, because these universes are real. You know, they're not external, maybe externally, but they are. I have you know this universe inside of me, and, and all these stories exist. I often don't use them in my films as narrative elements, but more as you know snippets or twirls or little uh, splinters from those universes. But in this case, I literally wanted to tell Max, my son, a Langimani story, and that was called The Monster of Nix. So it is related to my gap, but not you know part of the canon, so to speak. So I guess just sort of going back to the kind of general ideas generation when it comes to the films. In all of them, I find that there's always something, you know, particularly striking with each film that will then sort of take it further, there'll be an addition of something. Like I was saying before about the metaphysical elements and then the kind of, um, the much more obvious kind of mixed media component where the live action stuff comes in. Uh, and in this uh, splendor time, I adored the nurse. The what? The, the nurse? The nurse driving oh. the car. Like that whole concept of just why would she be driving, why would she be dancing, right. why does she look the way she does. Right. Um, in, my, in my case, it's usually a combination of things. It's usually something that originated from a previous work. You know, the Tetralogy is in a way a little game that I play, play with myself. I always knew that it was four films. I always knew that it was based on a, a record song uh, and that the characters of the record should somewhere be there. But I also knew that every film starts where the previous one ended. So um, I, ju I had just finished Lonely Bones and I knew you know, from the ending of Lonely Bones that there is a white world and the ambulance just left with a dancing nurse and the records inside. That's basically that was a given fact, you know. I, so that's that's something that I knew already. The other thing is that uh, often there's already a backstory or a legacy of some sort, you know. Like the nurse is not just something that I like to watch, so I put it in my films. It was something that when we were the records, a band in the 90s, you know, the most unfamous band ever, probably. Um, the nurse was a mascot uh, because the first demos that we recorded, uh, I did the, the design of those, you know, cassette tapes, and I found this kinky nurse in a '60s magazine who was doing nothing special except for just sitting there and pulling her clothes a little bit, which I found fantastic in a way. You know, like what is what is really the kinkiness of something like that? You know, like a nurse. And keep in mind that you know the kinky nurse was not uh, a familiar concept back then as it is now. You know now I noticed even for Halloween you can get a kinky nurse costume. Back then nobody knew about this. It was this sort of pervy little little thing that I liked a lot, and I used the nurse as a as a mascot. So every time when we did uh, releases on cassette, you know there was always the nurse. It also seemed to make sense. You know like the, there was these guys in black, which were the wreckers, and then there was this lady in white which was the nurse, you know, there's guys wrecking stuff and then there's a nurse coming in. Somehow, emotionally or, you know, on a level of associations, it seemed to make sense. Uh, but there was no big philosophy behind it other than that. So she kept appearing, you know, also in the early crappy films that we did with the wreckers. There was always this nurse uh, character. And then she disappeared, of course, for a long time. And with the wreckers, she didn't play a part in it until that ending of Lonely Bones and suddenly there she was again and it also said click 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 because you know the tetralogy also is about crosses 
I'm sure you've noticed, but you know there is crosses appearing uh, uh, at, at many many occasions, and and the difference between a cross that is like this, you know, like let's say like a something crossed out, or a standing cross, uh, which is like the red cross almost. So all these things seem to be, you know, lined up for splinter time, and. Did I create this, or did these things sort of fall into place? I never know how that works, but that's why I call my my work intuitive. You know, I just follow these things, and it often feels like I I just found them somewhere. Actually, I guess just sort of carrying on from the, what you were just discussing, the soul of the band and how this band is now fictionalized with these characters. But I guess back then it was a band with people. You were one of the band members, and so they were friends of yours. And uh, are they still musical? Are you still actually in the band together? Or? No, that, that's that's the thing. You know, we were a band called The Wreckers that were trying to get gigs and trying to you know make shit happen. And then, as it happens with bands, you know, it's it's over. At one point, every band sort of goes beyond their expiration date, and that happened to us as well. And then life goes on. But in my case, you know, since I'm an artist, I can take things further. You know, I'm not restricted by reality necessarily. To be perfectly honest, it started in, in several ways. First of all, I made this painting. That's the origin of the characters, basically. I made a painting of us four, the four guys, how I saw us, you know, what everyone looked like to me. And that sort of became what the records look like right now, because I, I realized later that, okay, these are basically the spirits. You know, these, this is the quintessential Rosto and the quintessential Wally. It's not, you know, it's hardly a face. You can hardly call it a face, but he's still there, you know, and I still recognize him. It's his soul, basically. You know, I had captured their souls. One last sort of thing to sort of bring up as we add to that is, so with animation in place, now it's more of a kind of mixed media experience um, within the films themselves. So you have the live action elements. Uh, you have what I presume is some degree of motion capture. Is that correct, or is nope. it not? No? Nope. Is it animation compositor into live action? Or yeah, it's, it's often quite complex uh, pipelines of tracking, you know, 3D tracking and uh, rotoscoping, but no motion capture. I haven't used that yet. Yeah. Somehow I also don't really find it interesting. Maybe it's time consuming. I mean, that, that's maybe a reason to do it. But I don't find it all that interesting because, you know, if I want it to look like a real person, I can shoot a real person. I think you know. I don't really see why not. And um, and if I wanted to animate, because you know, there's always a difference. You know, what an animator brings to a character is never the same as live action until unless you rot rotoscope it. Uh, but an animator can put this otherworldliness to to a character, uh, which you cannot do in live action. So I, I never really understood, except for the time efficiency thing, why I would use motion capture. I never really understood that. Of course, it's interesting to play with it, and we do, you know, do a lot of testing and stuff like that, especially with facial uh, capture, that you can have maybe different creatures, but actually being puppeteered by an actor. But that already involves, you know, a lot of amplifying. You know, if you do, for example, a, a, a human actor uh, doing the, the motion capture, facial capture uh, for a lizard or a reptile, you know, the reptile is built completely different, so you have to re uh, displace basically all the emotions of the actor 
you know, like to have the jaws behaving like that instead of, you know, like, like, like this. That is interesting. It gives interesting artifacts and, and results. So I might, you know, go into those territories somewhere in the future. I don't know yet. I, as soon as there is something that I don't understand yet or find fascinating, especially for all the things that it wasn't designed for originally, then I often try to make it part of my next project. You know, life is too short to be, to be repeating yourself. Thanks very much to Rosto, also to Yvonne Van Olden of Click, who helped arrange the interview. Splinter Time is still doing the rounds, it just scored itself a hat trick. At the Bordeaux Short Film Festival, it won the Jury Award, the Student Award, and the Audience Award. So you can check out Rosto's massive body of work at a number of websites, uh, rostoad.com for starters. You can also find The Wreckers at facebook.com slash The Wreckers. That's V with two E's. And MindMyGap.com has all the strands of the MindMyGap universe grouped together. as uh, also a resource for the quasi-spin-off film The Monster of Nyx at MonsterofNyx.com. I don't mean to sound like grandma, but uh, we do like it when you get in touch with us. <laughs> it's nice to hear from you. And we've had some a few nice, uh, nice communiques, haven't we, Ben? Nice few tweets. Yes, uh, Joanna Quinn writes, Just listen to the latest Squiggly podcast with the wonderful... Felix Massey, he brightened up my day, as he did ours. Uh, it was a really nice interview to listen back to. Mm. Um, elsewhere, Bits the Whippet, at JL Pollitt, catching up on the latest podcast while I tried a sequence, hashtag a little dash of nerd. I'm not sure if that's the name of the project he's working on or just his general state of being, but... Uh, I, th- I think we mentioned nerds last time. I think you said something like a little dash of nerd makes the world go round. And I think it's it's taken off on Twitter, Ben. It's become its own hashtag. <laughs> ah, see, I, I, I should have remembered that. <laughs> we should have copyrighted it. Damn it. <laughs> nice picture of the project he's working on now. Stop motion project. You can uh, give him a look at at JL Pollitt. Why not? Mm. And yes, of course, you can get in touch with any comments or questions or grievances or uh, uh, whatever you like. We're on Twitter at Squiggly. And of course, facebook.com slash squiggly magazine. The website is squiggly.com, and it's uh, quite easy to contact us from there. But whatever way you decide to do it, we'll endeavor to uh, get back to you or read them out on the podcast. And if people want to talk to us in actual person, we're going to be hanging around uh, Cardiff for the uh, Cardiff uh, Independent Film Festival, uh, which has got an animation strand this year. Uh, which we're all looking forward to. So if you're there and you recognise us, then come and say hello. And there's some great guests, uh, some great films. There's Joanna Quinn, Peter Lord, of course, of Ardman, Ben Bukele, who did The Amazing World of Gumball. It's a great lineup for their, their first crack at the whip. Mm. And it will go from the 22nd to the 24th of April. And visit cardiffanimation.com and cardifffilmfest.org.uk for more. The following week is ITFS Stuttgart, which runs from April 26th to May 2nd, and it's looking to be a cracking year with an excellent program, including Rosto's Splinter Time, which will play as part of the International Competition 3 at 9pm Thursday 28th in Gloria 1, repeated at 11am Friday 29th in Metropole 2. I'm also very happy to say that my latest film, Throw will also be playing at Stuttgart in the International Competition 5 screening on Saturday 30th at 9pm in Gloria 1 and Sunday 11am in Metropole 2. Visit itfs.de 
for more on this year's edition. And uh, I will be there myself from the 29th on, so if you're over there, give me a shout. Before then, however, the film continues its tour of Switzerland as part of short film nights. The next two stops are in Winterthur at the Kino Kiwi Lodge this Friday, April 22nd. The program kicks off at half eight. And the following night in Schaffhausen, 8.30pm at the Kino Kiwi Scala. And for full information on the tour, visit kurtzfilmnacht.ch. Also this Saturday, the 23rd, the film will play in the Ukraine for a repeat screening of the Kiev International Short Film Festival's Animation Madness screening at 4pm at the Kino Panorama. The festival website for that is kisff.org. Finally, the film will make its stateside debut in Oakland, California at this year's KrakenCon. It'll play as part of their inaugural animation festival that kicks off at 2pm this Sunday, April 24th at the Oakland Convention Center. Head to KrakenCon.com to learn more about the event. It looks like good fun if you're into your cosplay and your comics and all of that good stuff. And keep your eyes, of course, on Squiggly.com for more animation delights. Some recent features to check out include an interview with Iron Man director John Favreau, discussing the challenge of remaking the animated Disney classic The Jungle Book, now out in cinemas. Uh, look at Don Hertzfeld's excellent Blu-ray collection. Some top tips on getting a job in animation via Pearson College London and Escape Studios. Plus, Stephen Cavalier continues his 100 Greatest Animated Short series with a look at Nick Park's Creature Comforts and the Hanna-Barbera Tom and Jerry short Jerry's Cousin. So lots to look at and lots more coming. So until next episode, happy animating.